We couldn't even have 12 hours. We couldn't even have 12 hours. Like many of you who are probably listening to this show, your hero is a Boston Red Sox fan. Boston Red Sox have been, honestly, were honestly his first sports love. Your hero wore a Red Sox onesie home from the hospital. I grew up in a family that had Red Sox season tickets. My grandfather, Ray Paradiso, comes back from serving his country in World War II, starts a family in Newton, Massachusetts, gets a job as a mechanic working on brake lines, and in 1946, gets Red Sox season tickets. These were in our family until the 90s. Third base grandstand. Maybe 30 rows up. First row of the section. Raylan in front of us. A Raylan that my grandfather loved to tell was hit by a Ted Williams foul ball line drive right in front of him. He said that that Raylan may have may have saved his life because it was such a scorching line drive. And so, like many of you, with this love for the Boston Red Sox, I spent my Tuesday night in front of the TV. Because when you get a Red Sox-Yankees playoff game, I mean, you get a Red Sox playoff game anyway, you're going to be glued to it. But Red Sox-Yankees in a one-game single elimination playoff with Bucky F. Dent in the crowd, you're glued to that. That's must-watch television. And the Red Sox, Red Sox won. Now they earn themselves a date with the Tampa Bay Rays, which is going to be a tough ALDS to be sure. But it was a fantastic way to, to spend a Tuesday night, especially after getting done coaching baseball. Now I get to watch some baseball. I got some clips to show the kids. We did cutoffs all Tuesday afternoon at practice. We worked on cutoff drills, cutoff drills, cutoff drills, cutoff drills, because we're playing a team this weekend that is going to hit the bottom of the fence. And our outfielders and infielders need to be ready. Now I get them the clip of... Bogarts gunning down Aaron Judge at home plate in a one-game playoff in a critical moment. I could say this is why we practice this stuff because maybe, just maybe, one day one of you will be at Fenway Park because, yes, by then it will still be the stadium. Maybe one of you can make a play like this. So I was, I was overjoyed going to bed. And then I wake up and I check my phone. And Bill Belichick has decided to hammer the chaos button. The New England Patriots are reportedly going to release cornerback Stephon Gilmore. And that is how we will start our show here in a second on episode 209 of this go. Mark Schofield here with you on episode 209 of the SCO Show. This was going to be a show dedicated entirely to the Houston Texans. And I will say, I was a little nervous about that. Doing a solo show is tough. Sometimes it's easier. But on a day when you're thinking, how am I going to fill 20 plus minutes of the Houston Texans? Man, I wasn't sure I was going to be able to pull this one off. But... Like a lightning bolt from the football content gods, Bill Belichick has decided to hammer down on the chaos button. 
And the New England Patriots are set to release cornerback Stephon Gilmore, who is on the pup list right now because of the quad injury he suffered last year. Reporting is that he's either close to being ready or he's ready to play or ready to at least return to practice. But the Patriots and the and the player, after a long-standing sort of impasse over a new deal, it seems the organization is ready to move on. Now, obviously, there are financial implications here, right? If this is a business. And when a move like this is made, with financial implications, I, like I assume, all of you, I go to at Pat's Cap, Miguel Benzon, the guru upon guru of Patriots financial considerations. And as a matter of fact, the whole cottage industry of salary cap analysis, I don't know if Miguel started it, but to me it seems like he did. And he deserves a ton of credit for all the work that he does day in and day out. And matter of fact, Jason from Over the Cap, Jason Fitzgerald from Over the Cap, Jason underscore OTC. His, he found it Over the Cap, and his initial tweet on this was, just doing a quick run-through of the Patriots cap stuff. Ad Pat's cap would know this better than I, but I think as things stand, I don't think they would have had enough cap room to even cover per-game bonus accrual this year if players stay healthy. To which Miguel replied, this is true. I have said this a number of times here, guest appearances, podcasts, Twitter spaces. They didn't have enough money to cover bonuses. Adam Schefter tweeted out, Patriots were left roughly $54,000 under the cap and needed financial flexibility. Gilmore had a $7 million base salary this season. What is the final year of his expiring contract? And... Miguel then tweeted, By my quick accountant, the Patriots created $5.79 million in cap space by releasing Gilmore. The new salary cap space number is 8.614, which is now in Miguel's Twitter handle, which is more than enough to operate for the rest of the season and extend a player like J.C. Jackson. So there you go. Financial implications for sure. Now, it's interesting in that there has been speculation since this move from people like Darkayed, Phil Perry, Mike Giardi, that the Patriots are trying to create the environment to do something they've been unable to do to date, which is to trade Stephon Gilmore and to make sure that you get at least something in return. Because... As you might expect, every sports website under the sun has their listicle up right now of the potential landing spots for Stephon Gilmore. How do I know that? Why do you think you're not getting this episode until around 11 this morning? Because I had to write ours at USA Today. And honestly, I could have sat down and listed... All 31 other NFL franchises in alphabetical order wiped my hands like Spongebob and called it a day. Because this is a man coverage corner, a schematically diverse corner who you could drop into some zone stuff. We've seen Belichick and company use him on zone stuff before. That's 31 years old. Yes, he's coming off an injury, but seems to be or is reportedly ready to return. 
just two seasons removed from being NFL Defensive Player of the Year. You mean to tell me that there aren't going to be teams that are lining up to acquire him somehow? Now, I tried my best to sort of restrict it to teams that have true needs and could possibly either make it happen or would be willing to do the hard things to make it happen. Like Tampa Bay, for example. Tampa Bay has been decimated by injuries at cornerback. Sean Murphy Bunton, Jamel Dean. We saw Carlton Davis go down. They had Richard Sherman, who was a podcaster like me like five days ago, getting 98% of their defensive snaps. Pierre Desir, who was getting targeted by Mac Jones in the late going of that game. They had to turn to him. So the Tampa Bay Buccaneers certainly have a need for a player like Stephon Gilmore. The Green Bay Packers. Kevin King has struggled. Jair Alexander is banged up. They could go get him. Baltimore Ravens, they've also been dinged up by injuries. Marcus Peters goes down. They've had other injuries. They would certainly be a potential landing spot. The Kansas City Chiefs have struggled defensively this year. They gave up 29 points to the Browns in Week 1, 36 to the Ravens in Week 2, 24 to the Chargers in Week 3, and Jalen Hurts just hung 30 on them. You mean to tell me the Chiefs aren't going to inquire? Dallas. Dallas Cowboys. They were supposed to be, at best, an average defense. They've been better than average, I think, on the defensive side of the ball. They look like legitimate contenders right now. And yes, it's early. But they look like legitimate contenders. The issue there... Pairing Stephon Gilmore with Trayvon Diggs. Diggs right now is a turnover machine. Add Gilmore into the mix. That looks like a fantastic defense. I mentioned the Packers. Seattle has struggled. They're trying to figure out cornerback rotations. Washington has struggled defensively. Adding Gilmore could certainly help. The Panthers, they've got money to do it. We've got almost $20 million available. J.C. Horn goes down. Boom. Stephon Gilmore. And the Chargers, Chris Harris has missed 10 games since signing with them prior to last season. Now, Santi Samuel Jr. has looked great. They've got contributions from other guys. But, man, that would be a fascinating thing to see. So, what I mean to say here is there will be no shortage of suitors. And perhaps by getting out in front of this and getting everybody ginned up about where might Stephon Gilmore land you've now artificially created a market where a team that might be on the cusp of having enough room doesn't want to get into a bidding war when he hits free agency. And so maybe now, over the next couple of hours, we see the Patriots able to finally find a suitor on the trade market. So you get something to return for an NFL Defensive Player of the Year. Because, as I saw, I believe it was Fitzy on Twitter tweeted out, if this happens and the Patriots lose Tom Brady and Stephon Gilmore and get just a third-round comp pick in return, that's not great. And so maybe, just maybe, in the next 
four to six hours, we actually do get a trade. Even if not, look, the numbers are the numbers. The cap space is the cap space. You, you, they were up against it. And, you know, it's easy to sit here right now and say, like, it should not have gotten to this point. And perhaps that's absolutely right. It should not have gotten to this point. But you're here now. You got to land the plane somehow. And it's on this organization now, Belichick, Patricia, to land the plane best you can. It's sort of like the final season of Game of Thrones, right? Right now, the plane is kind of like a flaming car crash in the sky. You got to try to land it the best you can. And we'll see how they do that over the next couple of hours. And so there's your initial immediate reaction to the Stephon Gilmore news. Up next, I'm going to talk about Davis Mills and the Texans defense. And frankly, I'll only have to do it for like five minutes, thanks to the content gods, which is probably all I'll need because... Uh, look, on the flip side, this is a winnable game this weekend for the New England Patriots. So I guess we'll see how they screw it up. Either way, that's what we, we will be talking about next here on episode 209 of the Sco Show. Mark Schofield back with you now on episode 209 of the Sco Show. And now we have a game to talk about. The New England Patriots take on the Houston Texans this weekend. And... Well, look, long-time listeners to the show, followers of my work, you know, I, I, I try to shoot straight, right? I, I try to tell you, call things down the middle, balls and strikes, all that fun stuff. Right now, the Houston Texans are a bad football team. And, and I don't think that's really a surprise to anybody. I think, you know, th there's an expression. I know guys like Kyle Brandt and others say that week one is the biggest liar of the football season, right? And, and back in week one, Jacksonville Jaguars, people thought, like me, oh, Jacksonville, they'll be good enough to beat Houston, right? Houston, bottom five roster. No. Tyrod Taylor and company hung 37 on Jacksonville. And, and maybe... That should have been an, a window into the Urban Meyer level of dysfunction that's happening now in Jacksonville, which we are seeing play out in real time. But since then, Jacksonville has gone 0-3. They lose to Cleveland by 10. Tyrod Taylor's in that game. There they go. Short week. Taylor injured. Rookie quarterback. Lose 24-9 to Carolina and just look inept offensively. And then... Josh Allen hangs 40 on them, and they get shut out. And here's what they were able to do last week. Six first downs, 109 total yards, 61 via the pass, 48 via the run. Their offense contributed minus 32.68 expected points in that game, according to Pro football reference. They turned the football over five times. Four via interception by Davis Mills. One, a lost fumble by Jordan Akins. Davis Mills in that game. 11 of 21 for 87 yards. Zero touchdowns. Four interceptions. 
a lawn of 16 on the day, and an NFL passer rating of 23.4. Those are Mark Schofield numbers. And when you're putting Mark Schofield numbers up in an NFL game, that's cause for concern. And I hate to do the sum up an NFL offense in one play thing, but I'm going to do just that. Third down and 10. 7.09 mark of the first quarter. This is in a 0-0 game. Davis Mills and the Houston Texans have the football at the plus 37 of Buffalo. 37 Island, plus 37. They're in Buffalo territory. You could almost get a field goal here and take the lead. They run three curl routes, which right there is a tell. Believe me. I watch way too much NFL passing offenses right now. <laughs> way too much. When you're seeing on a third and ten situation, three curl routes, you might as well put up a sign on the sideline that says, I don't trust my quarterback. How do I know this? Ask me how many times my coach has called three curl routes for me. The number is astronomically high. Sticks three cars right at the first down mark. Buffalo shows blitz, but then they drop into good old cover three. Just country cover three. Generic as it gets. Davis Mills. Looks at the curl route in the middle of the field from Anthony Miller, the slot receiver lined on the right. And he looks at it the entire way. Like, never looked anywhere else. And in a sense, I can understand his thinking here. After all, you're going to kind of get him working against linebackers instead of, you know, Cooks against Tredavious White, Conley against Wallace. You're trying to get Anthony to sort of check up between Edmonds and Addison. Yes, Mario Addison is dropping into coverage here. And so I can almost understand Davis Mills' and his thought process on this play. The problem is, even if you're going to do that, at some point you have to move your eyes elsewhere. Your play caller has given you a play that evidences that he has no faith in you. You gotta do something to prove him wrong. Look Elsewhere, take your eyes to Conley's curl route on the outside of Miller for no other reason than to prevent Edmonds, the linebacker, from doing what he does on this play, which is read your eyes and pick your pocket. And perhaps what's scarier about this play, if you're a Houston Texans fan, is that you have a defensive end 
dropping into coverage who is doing the same exact thing from the other side. You watch this and Addison is reading him the entire way. And he actually cuts underneath Edmonds and is in position for the interception. He just doesn't quite get his hands on it. So ultimately, Davis Mills is throwing this ball through a defensive end, dropping into an underneath hook curl area, and a linebacker known for his athleticism. One of those two dudes is making that catch, and it's Edmonds who intercepts this. It is just a very tough play to watch as a fan of NFL offenses and NFL quarterbacks. And second interception, he just misses wildly on a glance route. When Cooks doesn't even feel the need to try to jump on this throw, because he knows it's well over his head, it's a bad miss. Next interception, the one from Johnson. Look, it's he's taking a deep shot. You're down 33-nothing in the fourth quarter. Like, okay. It happens. And then Look, final play of the game. You're down 40 to nothing. He tries to check it down and it goes through the receiver's hands. But it's that first interception that tells me, look, you just saw Tom Brady and held him to 19. I think you can handle Davis Mills. Now, the Texans defense, you know, they got kind of carved up a little bit. By Josh Allen, that's to be expected. There will be opportunities for Mac Jones to make plays in this game. It's it's a secondary that you're going to see some cover three stuff. You're going to see coverages that even Mac Jones should be ready for. You know, Josh Allen made some Josh Allen plays in this game, which sort of contributed to the situation. But you're going to see a lot of cover three. They play a lot of cover three. You know, I wouldn't surprise me if they ran Jordan or their, which is their no huddle call for Haas Juke, a ton of times in this game. It wouldn't surprise me to see them do the things that we've expected to see them do against single high coverages. Post over, there should be opportunities for Mac Jones to attack a little bit down the field in this game. And so sitting here today on Wednesday, even with all the stuff on Gilmore stuff going on, I feel like there's an opportunity for that sort of get right game. Do they deliver on it? I don't know. But this is a game you should win. This is a game coming off the performance you saw defensively last week, coming off the performance that we think this team could be capable of on the offensive side of the football, that you should win. And if you have any, any designs on contending in this division, this is a must-win. Because then you get Dallas, and we just talked about them. Get the Jets, at the Chargers, at the Panthers, home against Cleveland, at Atlanta, who looks to be pretty feisty on both sides of the football, Tennessee, and then at Buffalo. Like, you get the late bye. You need to start winning some games if you have any hopes of staying in the conversation here in the AFC East. And that starts with a win. On Sunday against Houston. God, I hope they deliver it. I mean, just imagine Monday. 
if they've just released Stephon Gilmore and there's no trade to be found, and they go to Houston and lose? My goodness. I mean, let's zoom out for a second. Because ALDS Game 3 is Sunday at 4.07. And, and we know we know what Tampa Bay offers. A loss by the New England Patriots at Houston, coupled with a three-game sweep of the Red Sox by the Rays, culminating together on Sunday. My goodness, I can just see the producers at some Boston area radio station swimming on money, on piles of money. Imagine in that scenario. Please, sports gods, don't let that happen. Don't let that happen. But either way, I will be here Monday to break it down. So get hydrated, kids, because it might be a long day on the Bird app. Check in on your neighbors. Check in on your friends. Check in on your loved ones. Wash those hands. And when you do, sin along. And bless the Patriots' rank. Down in front.